Lizzie Dunn is on a mission to help people learn Indigenous languages through technology. The founder of Lingogo is doing so through her passion for storytelling, creating dual language ebooks. Having a background in publishing and working with the New Zealand Film Commission, Lizzie used her experience to create the digital startup in a brand new industry. The business hustle isn't always easy, but when you are driven by Kopapa, it's always worth it. In this episode, we talk about the power of language, the pursuit of success, and how the lived experience of Lizzie's grandparents, particularly her grandfather facing racism and her grandmother escaping Hitler, have shaped her and the change that she wants to make in this world. Whakarongo mai. Kia ora, I'm Kiane. Nuku is a movement. We're empowering Indigenous wahine to be agents of change, cultivating opportunities to shape the world we want. Through this series, we're meeting 100 kick-ass Indigenous wahine doing things differently. They show us how the world can be shaped by our unique Indigenous voice. It's all about who we are and not who we've been told to be. Nuku, mahine, mohine, kiahine. Morena Lizzie Dunn, kia ora. Kia ora. Thank you for inviting us to your uh, whare today on this beautiful spring day. Um, I think we're coming out of a year of lockdowns and craziness and into closer to the end of the year mm-hmm. where the sun is shining, we're a little bit happier. Into we're, the light. We look like things are getting a bit more positive. Please God. <laughs> Um, how how have you been? How's this year been for you? This has been a nutty year, I think, for everybody. Um, it's been a nutty year for me, not just because of COVID, but like personally and work-wise. So I think at the start of the year, it felt like the worst year of my life for a long time. And now it kind of feels like the best year of my life. Wow. So yeah, up and down, I'd say. Up and down. Yeah. Um, I'm really keen to know why why it's the best year of your life, but I firstly want um, to ask you a little bit about how your life started, and uh, a little bit about your whakapapa and your upbringing. So are you able to introduce yourself to us? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about who Lizzie is. Who I am. Okay, I'll start with the Fano. So called Tefano Apanui. Um, te iwi, ko e te ehutu te hapu, in ko tukaki te marae. So my whānau is originally from Tikaha down south. Um, that's where my great-grandparents were. They um, moved over to Rotorua, um, and so we're affiliated quite closely with Te Arawa and Ngāti Whakaui there as well. That's where my mum grew up. And then she moved up with her whānau to Mangari. Um, and that's when the Anarus came to Tamaki Makoto and I've grown up here on the shore um, for most of my life. So on mum's side, I've got um, my granddad is Māori, my nana is, a, is Austrian Jewish and then on my dad's side, I've got English, Irish and uh, Rarotongan heritage it's a big mix (laughs) (laughs) so um you work in the tech space um but you're a storyteller and there's some really interesting things going on in your career at the moment but I'm really keen to know how did you get into this career pathway what was it that drove you here um I 
I started in, like I did a communications degree and I always knew I wanted to get into media. So when I started off, I kind of like tried all of the different media possibilities you could do. Like I did a little bit of work in TV. Um, I worked at the New Zealand Film Commission and worked on short films. I worked at NZ on Air in music. Um, I did a publishing diploma and started looking at books. But I kind of just kept jumping between them because in every role, I loved parts of it. The part that I loved in it was storytelling, but other parts of the industry or the place I was working didn't make sense to me. Like the big picture um, was just a little bit off and I couldn't see myself keeping on going or climbing the ladder in a traditional way. Mm. Um, so I think I was just always searching for how am I gonna do this? Like what's going to be my way to tell stories and it wasn't quite any of those things didn't quite fit in um and then I was living in Wellington at the time and I came home and I was hanging out with mum she's a language learner actually Spanish um and she used to order like kids um Spanish books to read through and we'd sit down together and like try to read them and like use a dictionary and a ruler and we're matching up words um and it was her, it was mum's idea to kind of, she was saying she'd like a better way to read these books. And I was doing a publishing diploma at the time and really interested in ebooks. Mm. But at the time saying ebook was like, a, like I was swearing, like a bad word. You're killing the publishing yeah, industry yeah. by saying that. Totally, totally. <laughs> and I don't know, it just frustrated me that I could see ways to make ebooks cool because I love physical books so much like I would always choose a physical book over an ebook in most situations but ebooks offer like um convenience and we've got sound in ours and you can look up words online so it really made sense to me and when I talked to other people in the publishing industry they kind of shot me down a little bit and so I was forced to just do it by myself so I just thought I'm just going to start a company and start building this um yeah wow so the the app is called Lingogo. Hi. And how many languages are currently offered? One. <laughs> um, yeah, at the moment we've got um, 20 ebooks in Te Reo Māori and we're just frantically working on getting some stories in Samoan and Tongan up. Awesome. Um, but yeah, we actually started in Spanish, French and German. And I always wanted to do Māori as a side venture that was always going to be free because, I don't know, people kept telling me the market wasn't big enough and I wanted it to be like a charitable, like really accessible thing. And then um, recently, actually, we had the change where we saw actually there is so much demand for Indigenous stories um, and we like pivoted to focus fully on them, which just made my heart like jump because it's actually what I've always wanted to do and also recognizing the the worth in our stories because so we do charge for them but um we go through libraries and schools as well to get them out free to as many people as possible but um I think there's lots of content out there for free um and this year I've just started thinking there's so much value in our stories um I'd like to get more writers on board and be able to get more income back to them and like contribute to the industry, make sure that people are getting paid um, what they're worth. So 
with with Lingogo, with this um, app that you have made, is it um, a language learning app in the sense that you say here is the English word and here is the Māori word, or is it books that are written in Te Reo Māori and then you help you learn the language by reading these books and being able to link to names of names and, and all of these other um, elements to it. Yeah, yeah. So the second one, so it's definitely not like a Duolingo or a language learning mm. app. It is dual language Māori books, which are a good practising and learning resource for people who want to learn the language, but also just people who are interested in Māori stories, like the cultural concepts. Um and it's based off of, there's like, there's incre- um, comprehensible input theory as a language acquisition theory. And it's basically just saying that the most efficient way to learn language is through immersion, really, and context. And that language acquisition is something that's really different to language learning. Like language learning is like what I did at school and went when I went to my English class, I could already speak fluently, but I went to English class and they taught me the grammar and it's almost retrospective. Like I then understood what I'm doing when I'm speaking in an academic way, whereas language acquisition is more what we did when we were kids, when we grew up and you just pick words up Mm. from seeing it in context and getting the meaning. And that's what the books are about. So you read it in Māori, but you can tap any sentence to check the English. So the English is behind, Māori is first. Um, So read it in Māori, scan the English at the start. Not many words will make sense, but the more times you go through, you just pick up so many words so quickly. And it's not like looking at like a vocab list where you might look at them and you understand it. Um, You can recall it like half an hour later, but next week it's just all gone out of your brain because it actually like clicks into a different part of your brain where you understand the word. It fits in with the context. Um, So for retention, it's really good. Mm. Now, you you were saying that obviously publishing companies were not exactly keen on the idea. Nah. Um, <laughs> and so you went out and did it on your own. It's not an easy feat to A, start a business, but B, start something that's also quite new to the market and to bring something into a tech space. Um, can you tell me a little bit about some of the challenges that you've faced over this period? Because I mean, even just getting turned down by publishers is a challenge enough on its own. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's been a lot of no's, a lot of like awkward corporate meetings. Mm. Um, um, the hardest bit has been what you're talking about, like the having to pitch something to people who are in a comfortable space, like they're at the top of these industries. They've been in them forever and ever. And you kind of come in. And when I started, like I've been doing it for five or six years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was quite young when I started. And um, you kind of walk in and just feel, you got to have a lot of self-confidence. And I didn't have that when I started, but I so passionately believed that what I was doing was helpful and it was the right thing to do. So that always drove me, but probably my confidence level didn't match it. Mm. And so I had things like, I remember going to the, um, 
mum and I had this idea and we like did all the stuff online to register your company and I was so excited and then we um I bought a ticket to go to the PANS conference, a publishing association of New Zealand. And um, I went in like really excited. And then everybody knew everybody and I didn't know anybody. I was just like a student from publishing. I started talking to some people and telling them my ideas. And I thought that they would be like blown away. Mm. (laughs) I thought they'd be really excited. And they were just like, kind of shot me down. And I came out of that conference just feeling like an idiot like feeling like such an idiot that I thought that I could go to this place with these actual publishers and and talk about my ideas. And um, I'd say there's just been that kind of situation again and again and again. (laughs) Did it drive you? Does it drive you? Yeah, yeah. It's like a two-stage thing. Like it would hit me and I'd just like shrink down and feel like, oh, Mm. what am I doing? And then I'd get home and think about it and be like, dude, I can do this. Like, I've got this. Like, listen to my ideas because I can see all the... I can see all these missed opportunities and I can see all the stuff that you can't see. So, yeah, once I got away from it, it would pick me up and drive me for sure. Especially drives my mum. My mum's probably more fiery than me. <laughs> She'd be like, get it, get back out there, get back out there. Because, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, those things... Uh, I, I don't think any of us... Um, are new to challenge and being challenged and there are two ways of looking at some of those situations um in one way it's like oh you know these are industry experts and they know what's good and what's not good and I need to up my game if I want to impress them and then, and then on the other side it's like you're all full of shit and <laughs> and you don't understand my product yeah um and I can see it and I just need someone to believe in me and I think sometimes we can get caught in the middle of which one of these situations is it is it that I have to continue proving to the experts um or is it that actually I've got to put them to the side and find a different avenue because I believe and I know it's going to work I just need someone else to see that vision yes yeah yeah And that process, I think you just, as part of like maturing and growing up, um, I realized that that I didn't need to sit around and impress these people. Like that's that's the wrong avenue because they're doing what they want to do and they're doing it well, but like they're not the people looking. If they thought what I was doing was good, they would have done it ages ago. Like Mm -hmm. they can't see it. So, um, stopping taking it so personally as well because on the other side of it like I am just this girl the other side of it as well was me growing up and realizing it's not it's not their responsibility to support me like at the same time I needed to grow up a bit and um not take everything so personally because then I could go and talk to a publisher or this person in tv or whoever it was listen to what they're saying to me. I don't need them to like put a tiara on my head and tell me, you know, give me a pat on the back. But if you take away the real personal stuff, then you can really listen to what they're saying and then you can pick and choose. Like they, you know, they do know a lot about the traditional industry. So they've got a lot. If I listen to them, I can learn so much as long as I just stop thinking that they're like personally attacking me. (laughs) Um, 
yeah so hardening up a little bit in that sense as well yeah it is difficult especially when you've got a business idea that's your that you know that you've grown and you have so much passion for it's very hard not to take it personally yeah 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 so the idea started with your mum learning Spanish Mm. and has transitioned into te reo Māori um I I I like that your focus is on indigenous stories and revitalizing indigenous languages. Um, but there was something that you said to me in a, a pre-interview questionnaire that I sent you, um, where you said, I'm sick of my ancestors being treated like crap for being minorities. And it all ties into this corridor of um, indigenous communities being minorities, of indigenous language being the, you know, it's not the mainstream language, it's the minority language. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about being in this space of a minority and what that actually means in your lived experience? Mm. Yeah, I can. Um, for me, because I'm quite fair, like people don't think I'm Māori and and I am a mix of like so many different things. So for me, I don't think I've grown up, my experience growing up, like I've had, a, I've had it a little bit on both sides, you know, just feeling like you're not particularly anything, not Māori enough, not Pākehā enough, whatever. But that, so what I've seen more clearly is like my mum's experience, um, her being treated differently to my dad, knowing kind of her backstory. Um, so that gets me fired up. And then I also hark back to like, stories about my um, koro. My auntie always talks about how when he went to the pub in Rotorua, he had to get a Pākehā man to buy his beer. He wasn't allowed to buy a beer. And then my um, nana, obviously she is has Jewish heritage, so um, she escaped Hitler and she was a refugee in London and uh so I think about that a lot, a lot, a lot. And I think I think there's a big contrast because I think about my life here and I'm treated probably not as a minority a lot of the time because people don't know that I am. So that's a real stark contrast to how I know my, my grandparents were treated and my mum is treated, which almost makes it like sharper and makes me more angry about it. Um, so that drives what I do harder. Mm. Yeah, and I think the circles that I go in, I think a lot of people don't... If you don't touch it, you don't see it. And that's why I want to get the stories out Um, because people just don't, you know, they shrug off like little things that I might get really upset about if I see something and they just shrug them off and... Yeah, it hits me hard, like... Just hearing your story and thinking about... I mean, the experience that your gram, that your koro had um, in Aotearoa, I mean, that's not that long ago. When you think about it generationally, that is not that long ago that, you know, he's refused to buy beer at a pub. Um, but then I also think about your grandmother being a Jewish 
woman escaping Hitler. And that really brings some reality to our conversation. You know, that to me is like, holy crap. These are stories that we hear about that happen in other countries to other people. Um, And it's in your tupuna line and is again, not that long ago when you look at that generationally. Yeah. Um, those experiences of those people in your life, um, how have they shaped you as a woman? Because we're talking about how it's shaped you as a your passion for your business and why you want to focus on indigenous stories and minority voices. But how has that actually shaped you as a as a wahine Maori? Uh, it has made me I think I carry it all the time like I think about it all the time and it has made me driven me in everything I do in life I don't know maybe I'm a bit serious because of it like I don't take some things lightly and I am just really aware of people being different treated differently I've always been really aware of people being treated differently at school like Asian kids or you know I've always been aware of people who are being left out um and always wanted to it's like the classic millennial thing but I don't want to live a light life Mm -hmm. like I want to be here I want to find what I'm really good at and do that like really bloody well to make an impact to help some people um, the best I can with my life. And I know that because of my background and when I think of like what my Nana went through, what my whole family's gone through, like I know that's the space where I'm supposed to do something. Um, Yeah, and I think it gives me strength as well. If I think about kind of um, just silly things in everyday life that you can sometimes get caught up in in your head. And I hark back to my tūpuna and just think, you know, bigger picture. Like, Mm. um, yeah, it kind of keeps you grounded a bit. I think about it a lot. And I think it will come in when I've got kids a lot because you talked about that generational difference. Like, it's not that long ago. Mm. And my, really, my nana's family died in a, like, horrific way for their culture. And you know what? I know next to nothing about being Jewish because my nana just cut it out. Like she couldn't talk to my mum about it, to my family about it, so that it hasn't been passed on to me. And that's like, that just, it's so clear the power of stripping someone's language and culture away from them. And it's so clear that it's a tool of oppression and it's an act of war. Like, Mm. I'm two generations away and they died and I don't know anything about it. Like, that's what they were going for, eh? So, and I think about that with um, Tereo as well. That's why I'm really driven to reconnect and to learn and to help other people um, because it's, it's this sneaky, like, horrible thing that we need to claim back. There's a really powerful um, statement you made when you said it's an act of war. 
and I've never really thought about it that way. Um, and in and in not so much comparing the experiences of your grand, you know, of your different grandparents, but thinking about how one was an act of war yeah. that was that we all know about, and one was a silent act of war that we remember, but we don't see it in the same vein because it didn't include the other atrocities that came as a as a warlike. I suppose. Um, I've never thought about it that way. Yeah. Um, I especially have been thinking about it because we're looking at, we want to go global. So looking at other indigenous people's experiences and like looking at over at America and the native Americans and how they were put into boarding schools and taken away from their families. And you just see the same formula in, in different ways and to different levels, but because it's so effective, like that guy's quote, um, kill the Indian, save the man. Like, and whether or not, I don't know, it was a different time. So maybe like ignorance, like maybe they really did think they were uh, doing something good. I don't know. But yeah. it's the first thing that people do in war, right? Like they, they take, you're not allowed to speak the language. They'll burn the books. You can't play your songs and your poetry because that's the heart of a culture. Your language, your books and songs and when you it's such a horrible thing that often flies under the radar like the power of that um yeah because how can a culture live when you can't speak and you've got your tongue cut out mm. <laughs> I want to go so many places with this conversation I'm like which is the one I'm gonna go down <laughs> Because it, it speaks about we, we like we're talking about culture, we're talking about oppression, we're talking about language revitalization, we're talking about identity. Right. We're talking about all of these things that often as indigenous women we do talk about in our everyday conversations without identifying that this is the topic. Um, I have spoken with lots of other Nuku Wahine about all of these different things. And what I love is that you're you're physically creating something that um, is focused on healing that and is focused on another way that we can thrive because we have te reo Māori TV channels, radio stations, books and this is bringing it into the way that technology is used today. Um, it's something that you know, our children, our children who are all on YouTube um, yeah. <laughs> can easily access. And so... I'm really interested to know how technology um, plays a role in this, but also to what limits can we push technology in order to fight back in this war? Yeah. Oh, gosh, I got political, did I? I love political. Political yeah. is my favourite. Strong opinions in politics. Is all, I'm all about Good. that. I just let it hang out. Um, yeah, so I see technology as... Um, because I'm not really, I, I'm actually pretty crap with technology. Like, <laughs> I just get people around me who are good at it. And it's like, stories is obviously my passion. But I am all in on technology because I know that stories is what we've always used to pass on our culture, right? Forever and ever and ever. It's a very proven technique. But in this day and age, story, like using technology to get those stories out is like, obviously what we should be doing. Um, and I know that from my own 
The reason I'm so passionate about it and I love everything that's coming out in media, like there's books everywhere, there's cool podcasts, like it's just at this point there's a lot of content being made, which excites me so much because as someone who grew up like away from my mud eye, um, I have started using media to reconnect and it's been like um, an easy non-intimidating way for me to reconnect to my culture. So I've like, I listen to Nuku podcasts, I listen to Taringa, mm-hmm. and I remember listening to a, an episode um, with Rawiri Waititi, and he was talking about Apanui, like my ancestor, and I learned about his trip to Moao, and now, like, for me to figure that out on my own would have taken so long, but I listened to this podcast and I heard about it, and now I carry that with me all the time. Mm. Um, And I also heard him say, like, we need our people to come home. And, like, I wouldn't have had a conversation with him, (laughs) you know? Like, that's made me feel so much more confident about my culture and, like, my pathway home is so much easier to do because of that. I've got, like, a book from Tefano Apanui about our maramataka. Um, So media... I think is the modern way for us to spread our stories the way we used to sit around and tell them to each other. Mm. Um, And it, I just, it is our opportunity to pick up real Māori, pick up Māori culture and ensure that instead of going on the decline, we turn that around and we go out and we thrive. And it's great for accessibility. It is, it is, absolutely fabulous for accessibility there are also those that come out and challenge and say um but you you need to sit down with your kaumato and kuya you you must go to your marae you must you know do all of these things because that's how our tupuna did it and that's not to say that's right or wrong but um you know what (laughs) what's your response to that because I guess there is one I mean I'm 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 different to you in the sense that I grew up at my marae I live next door to it I live and breathe my papakainga Mm. um I wouldn't know what it feels like to not have the confidence to walk into my whare and just be Mm. um and so yeah really interesting to have this corridor with you around that different experience of technology and mixed media are giving you a bit more confidence to actually yeah. reconnect. Yeah, yeah, and it's for me, it's just a step. It's like the beginner step. Mm. Um, you, I don't think you can properly reconnect without going back to your maraya and sitting down. And there are definitely certain tales that should only be spoken about, like face to face. But I think the reality for a whole lot of us who have grown up, yeah, away from our marae and disconnected from our culture. um, Yeah, I can't just go, especially back to Takaa, I can't just go back to Takaa and walk in the door and be like, whānau, I'm home. (laughs) Like, it's been so many years. So for me, it's about like, kind of, it's the start of putting in the mahi, like, I'm going to put in the effort to learn about this. I have, um, like last year, all our, all our cousins got together and we've organised like a final reunion, which COVID screwed up. Um, <laughs> but it'll happen. COVID. It'll happen. <laughs> so for me, the technology is just a starting point and it leads us there. Mm. 
but I think a whole lot of people wouldn't have the confidence to um, to succeed in that journey without our stories being more accessible first. So the stories that you're telling, are they stories that we know um, well? Are they stories that are already out there or have you, are they specifically written for the app? Are they new stories? Like where, what are the stories? They have been specifically written. So the first series mum wrote um, and it's called the Anna series and it's about, (laughs) it's, our family thinly veiled, but it's about like a disconnected <laughs> family in Tamaki Makoto. And um, then a cousin comes up from down East Coast and um, she comes up to do an engineering degree and she stays with the Fano. And then it's just about like the funny things that happen, funny and the deeper things that happen with her learning about city life and these kids learning, like reconnecting with their Fano. Um, so new stories, um, we really wanted to write like fun, modern stories that lots of people could relate to. So that's where we've started. Um, we're bringing in some kids books next month. And now we're at the stage where we're opening it up to um, other writers to start contributing, which is really exciting. And I really want all stories, like all different perspectives because, so we'll go myths and legends, we'll go news stories. You might write something like about they don't have to be necessarily like traditionally Māori. Because I think at the Film Commission as well, I saw like a lot of a certain type of story coming through that is supposed to represent Māori. And to me, it didn't. Um, You know, some, it might have, it might represent like a small sector or a big sector, but it's just not, I don't think it's a balanced, a balanced environment of Māori stories yet. And so I want to show that there's not just one way of being Māori, we've all got different experiences of it. Yeah, Kristen Ross had a great kōrero about this as well when she said she just wants to watch a Māori language programme that isn't an educational program that like it's just a drama, but it's yes. in te reo Māori. You know, like just, she just wants accessible... Maori language stories of all genres. Entertainment, yeah. Eh? Like, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, that's very cool. Um, I want to talk to you about some of your other passions in your life. Um, and I think it's really funny that you have a full on phobia of fish, <laughs> but you really love to surf and be out in the ocean where the fish live. <laughs> Um, and we were just talking earlier about surfing and you were saying how much you love to surf but also how you love to teach surfing. How did that passion come about? Where, where did surfing come from? Because it obviously didn't come from your love of fish and being in the ocean. <laughs> no, it's so unfortunate. Um, my, I think I started surfing at like high school and I think at the start it was my eldest brother surfed when he was young and I think for me I always was a bit of a tomboy and it was I wanted to like keep up with the boys and I wanted to do what the boys were doing Mm. so I'd always try and go out when they were surfing and I was so bad (laughs) for so long like those poor boys they were very like just had a lot of patience with me taking me out um but I just loved it and I loved being in the ocean and um it's also, it's definitely also a little bit of a gender thing that I like to um, 
There's a thing when you're out in the lineup, when you're surfing, and it's different now. There's way more girls out there, but I've been surfing for like 10 or 12 years or something. And when I started, I was often the only girl. And it's like this, like, uh, it's almost like an, like animals are all around and you, you line up and, no, I mean like people, you act like animals and boys sit there with their chests up and like it's this um, game of like dominance, like who's going to get the wave or whatever. And as I've got more confident, I love, <laughs> I love it when a guy thinks I can't surf and they'll sit next to me and like try and go for my wave or something and I love getting a wave and just shooting past them and like, <laughs> I think I love that about it but um yeah it's just so fun but the fish thing is something that I really need to work on where did this fish phobia even come from I think this is ridiculous my brother got me a goldfish when I was like uh 10 or something and I was just terrified of it. I had to clean its like bowl out and I had to get it into this little jar every time. And it just, it like created this phobia in me that I was really scared of. It's so ridiculous. Like I've had full on panic attacks out in the waves. (laughs) Yeah. What, so sharks? Sharks I'm scared of in a normal way. Okay. Yeah, (laughs) but goldfish I'm terrified of in a like ridiculous way. Just flicking back to surfing, have you ever competed? Oh, hell no. No, no, no. I'm not that good. Okay, so it's for fun. <laughs> it's for fun. What are some of your favourite breaks in Aotearoa? Uh, You're like, mm, do I want to give them away? <laughs> don't say that. I don't say that. Um, yeah, I love going Parkery when I'm in Auckland. Yeah. Any others? Any other beaches? Uh Muriwai. I lived at Muriwai before I came here. That's my West Coast heart is out there. Oh, yeah. I think quite a few learners learn at Muriwai. Is there something about... I mean, it's. I'm always freaking out at West Coast beaches because yeah. they've got rips and they've, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But is Muriwai a better... Is it good for learners? Like, it's better is than it, Piha or something? <laughs> I don't know. I think it's just easy to get to from Auckland. There's a good surf school there. Um, honestly, I think learners are nuts for learning out. Because yeah. it is gnarly. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, they seem all good. Um, in our corridor today, you've spoken about a number of different women who are quite amazing and um, have already mentioned your mum and her influence that she's had in the business that you're running. Who are some, or who is one or some, uh, Indigenous women that have inspired you and been a part of your journey? Um... Yeah, Mama's number one. Um, she's just crazy strong and she's done a lot of business business stuff. In um, earlier times when she was definitely the only Māori woman standing in a group of people who weren't Māori women. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, she's so strong. So I uh, lean on her for that. There's also my auntie, my auntie Jude. Um, she is actually pretty amazing like she was part of the crew talking about media she's part of the crew that like started BFM she was a producer for Marae and heaps of shows I don't even know everything she's done but um she also started Flipside which was like the first kind of interactive 
show where you could text in and they would do like, I think Mike Pudu did it. You could text in and they would like show polls. So that was like a massive um, jump for media to become interactive. Um, So she's very like creative in that way. And I did like work experience with her on Marae when I was little and I always kind of looked at her walking around with her clipboard and her like, mic in and thought wow she's so onto it and all these people are listening to what she says and um so definitely auntie jude too yeah and i guess like my cousins (laughs) my cousins who are just like amazing mums and really strong because i also lost my um my auntie passed away the mum of the cousins that I'm talking about um, a long time ago. So they had to grow up pretty quick and they've got like big families and they bring all their kids over here on Christmas and I love it. I just think they're such amazing mums. Um, so yeah, I look up to Fano a lot and there are other Indigenous women I look up to, but to be honest, I haven't seen them. That's why I think Nuku's so amazing because when I look at Nuku and I see, you know, I don't think these stories have been told, have seeped into the mainstream as much as they deserve to. Mm. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm looking at the future and what the future holds for you and for Lingogo and for this kind of mahi and using tech around our Indigenous storytelling and around our Indigenous um, stories and how we're learning our language and revitalising that space and I'm taken back to um, the recent mahi that you've done with the Kokiri Accelerator program and um, could you just tell me a little bit about that so how did you get involved in that in the Kokiri program and what has it what does it do what did it do for you and your business yeah um, how do I see it I think I just saw it on Facebook but it was a Maori tech business accelerator so very niche and I saw it and I was like that is I've got to get into this like so I applied and I um yeah got in which I was really stoked about and it was like a three-month program where they it's basically like school for startups and um the team there was so amazing like I learned all of these things that I wish that I'd learned five years ago (laughs) and I'd have a lot more money and possibly not be living at my mum's house but um yeah, they basically, we took Lingogo in and they ripped it to shreds, um, challenged me on a whole lot of things, taught me a whole lot of things. And by the end of it, we came out with um, Lingogo is awesome and and we found our um, a new audience, which is concentrating on libraries and schools, which is really cool. But um, we also realised that Lingogo is just the MVP now, like the minimum viable product for what we want to build. So we've got this whole new project, which is really, really big. Um, And it is going to, I can't talk too much about it at this point, but it's like a bigger platform, more more collaboration, um, more types of media. And it's just gonna, I think it's going to, hopefully make a really positive big impact on um, indigenous media all around the world 
<laughs> so Lizzie did give me a little bit of the inside scoop. I'm not going to talk about it, but I'm very excited. Um, it sounds absolutely amazing. And when it does happen, because it will happen, when it does happen, um, we definitely will revisit this corridor and be able to yeah, shout it from the rooftops and awesome. celebrate. Because I think... You know, and everything that we've spoken about today in terms of, I, I'm just stuck on that idea of it's a, you know, this war idea. <laughs> um, and I'm just thinking it's such a tactical way <laughs> of um, bringing Indigenous people, lifting Indigenous people, culture, stories up. And the more we do that, the better we will be for our tamariki and amukapuna. Um, which brings me to my final partai, <laughs> which is what is your hope for the future of Indigenous women? My hope for the future of Indigenous women is, I have like a scene in my head that I think about all the time and it's of like my daughter or muku or someone um like walking into a cafe on a Saturday morning and ordering their breakfast in te reo, like a cafe in Milford, and no one skipping a beat because the waitress or the waiter knows te reo. And the person next to them might be Pākehā or might be Chinese, but they also know te reo because we live in a bilingual or multilingual society. And it just, no, nobody skips a beat. And my descendant doesn't, think about oh she doesn't have to think about I wonder if they know Māori or I wonder if they'll judge me or I'll feel out of place for speaking Māori like none of that goes into her head all she's thinking about is you know her waffles and ice cream like it's so normal um yeah that's the kind of world that I want for Indigenous women everywhere mm. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Um really appreciate you and really appreciate the mahi that you're doing. I think it's really exciting. And to see more language revitalization in the tech space, to see the way that technology is being used um in these sorts of ways is really cool. But I think the idea of it being stories and um Stories that may or may not reflect your personal <laughs> Fano story. <laughs> I think is really cool because it's something that you can sit down and read to your tamariki and your mukupuna and as a whānau can can be learning and be encouraged to speak to your Māori. So the dogs are barking again, which means that must be us. We are ripping. Um, tēnā koe. Tēnā koe. Thank you so much. <laughs>